Free Association, music from Ennio Morricone there, two tracks from the films Violent City, 1970, and Sergio Leone's Duck You Sucker. Today we're doing a deep dive into the music of Morricone, one of our most iconic and prolific composers. He composed over 450 film scores, over 100 absolute music pieces. He has roots in the popular and the avant-garde domains. With me to talk about Morricone's work is composer Alessandro De Rosa from Rome. He's the author of the new book, Ennio Morricone in His Own Words, a brilliant in-depth conversation with Ennio and study of his music. Alessandro, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. And I'm sorry for your loss. I know, I know you two were very close. Um, so I, I'd love to t- ask you, before we get into all the amazing stories in the book, how you were introduced to him and what got you interested in embarking on this book. I met Ennio Morricone the first time in 2005. It was the 9th of May, I will never forget, and I was 19 years old. He came in Milano and uh, he had a conference, he gave a conference. So he was talking about his music, basically, that it's something that he didn't, uh, he never did very often because he was always thinking about the music, about really writing music. That night was different and uh, finally I could enter in this uh, conference. It was almost finished because it was full of people, of course, and I could give him a CD of mine uh, with a letter where I was asking to him to be my teacher, composition teacher. And so finally he was listening one of my tracks and uh, the day after uh, it was calling me back. So that's how we met the first time. And uh, he told me, you have to study composition. I cannot give you lessons because I'm very busy. It's not 
what I like to do. I, I'm not patient enough <laughs> to be a teacher. And, um, and it told me, uh, you have to study composition because uh, you have the, cap the ability, you have to focus on this. And so that's how we met. Wow, that's amazing. So how did you get him to co-author this book with you? I mean, that's a big commitment. This book is a mammoth exposition on his whole career. And so he called me back and he told me, when this summer you come back to, to Boris, no? to come to my place, I want to give you something. I wrote uh, it's an essay, let's say six, seven pages, ten pages of essay. Uh, I went to his place, he gave me this essay, he, he, he said to me, well, wh what do you think about it? No? And I say, wow, I'm honored you're ask asking me. And from there, I, you know, I was looking for this relationship all my life, in a way. And I said, maybe it's a good chance to propose to him to work together to uh, this book, this time machine, as I was proposing it to him. And, uh, and we did it. He, to he told me uh, that the same day we were on the phone, with, he told me, uh, I don't have the time, but we, I will find it, the time for you no? and we, with you. The beginning it was not easy at all, but after some months and years, uh, it was uh, okay. He was a close friend. That's great. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a wonderful book. There's so many amazing stories and insights in here. John Zorn recently wrote a piece in the New York Times. I don't know if you saw it, but he said he was one of those musicians who could make an unforgettable melody with just a small fistful of notes. <laughs> and you hear that in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly with the, uh, the coyote sound. It's such a simple idea, but it's so, it's so powerful. There's some amazing guitar work by Bruno Battisti Di Mario. Oh, uh, in, in Just amazing. And I, I'd love to play a couple of scenes from The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. There's a great moment in your book where Morricone asks Diomario, the guitarist, to play as if he were stabbing someone, and you hear that in these these pieces. It's such an attacky guitar sound, just incredible. I want to play uh, the main theme to Good, the Bad, and the Ugly just to hear that guitar sound, and also the idea of just the reduction of notes. It's really just a few notes. Uh, the melody is just alternating between C and E, those two, those two notes. And then the guitar comes in with the arpeggiated line. And then I want to play The Ecstasy of Gold, where at the end, Diomario's told he can improvise. He can play anything he wants as long as it's C and B in any octave. And you hear Diomario improvising there at the end. Just a fantastic piece. My name is Brian. We're listening to the music of Ennio Morricone tonight. This is Free Association right here on WZBC.
Morricone is unbelievably prolific, between 450 and 500 film scores. No one's quite sure how many, actually, he's done so many. I mean, the moment the good, the bad and the ugly begins, you know you're in for something different. You've got A-E-A-E-A, like a coyote howl in the desert. You've got the driving sounding of a horse. You know, grunts and anvils and bells and whip cracks and Fender Stratocaster guitars and a choir singing incomprehensible lyrics. You know, it's all put together in this very strange sort of arrangement and slightly anarchic sound. Then in comes a trumpet. And what you've got is an amazing classic score. I mean, most people are associated with one genre of film. He does the lot. It's in this country, he's rated and most famous for the scores he did for Sergio Leone's film. He slightly resents that association, uh, that why is everyone going on about Westerns all the time, every, every time I come to England, um, and hates the phrase spaghetti Westerns because he thinks it's a huge put down and it's sort of beneath him in a way as a composer.
Free Association, the music of Ennio Morricone there from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Christopher Frayling and Ennio Morricone speaking there on The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Uh, Alessandro De Rosa is with me. He's the author of the book Ennio Morricone in his own words. I love The Ecstasy of Gold. It's one of my favorite pieces. And my son and I were doing this hike up to Mount Washington last summer. And he asked me, my son asked me, as we were getting toward the top, he said, can you play Ecstasy of Gold on your phone? Because it's just such an epic piece. I just love the, the abrupt ending is also interesting. The, the, the ending is abrupt because if you remember the film, uh, the character is searching for this, this specific grave. And he finds, as soon as he finds the grave, the music stops. And the other thing that's interesting about that piece is we don't, it, it strikes me, we don't normally hear a full piece of music like that without dialogue in a film these days. And this is a piece, The Ecstasy of Gold, is completely performed in the, in the film, start to you, finish. You know, Morricone was always uh, talking about this absolute music, no? also in the book we talk about it, and, uh, and applied music. No? And of course, Morricone liked the freedom. I mean, he, he wanted to be free, free from everything. Uh, the, his idea, his main idea was to be a composer, not a movie composer. So uh, he was always, uh, he was using always this word that is riscattare. So it's react to something, react to the image, react to the movie, react to the director. No? But in the respect of everything, in a way, uh, really interesting. Uh, in general, the mu music in a movie is the last thing, the last things uh, the production uh, is dealing with. And the composer also in general, especially in that years, they were calling him the last month, no, the last 22 uh, weeks, and they were asking for the music. With Leone, of course, it was not like this. And also with Pasolini, for example, sometimes also with Giuseppe Tornatore, uh, most recently. But in general, they start with Leone. So from after the second movie, they started to bring the, the, the music on the set. Well, the, the, the music is the main character of these sequences. And for Morricone was always saying that, uh, in his opinion, uh, the, the music he wrote for Leone was not his best music, but it, it, it was possible for it was possible for the audience to listen to these pieces of music without any sounds, without any dialogue, and so the music was strongly uh, uh, getting the audience. It could stand on it. It could stand on its own. Exactly, exactly. So I don't know if I answer to your question, but um, uh, the approach is very different. Is uh, um, a composer that uh, in any way is working for the movies, but first of all is a composer, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, th this is interesting because this brings us to the idea of, of bringing music on the set turns it into an opera almost because the actors are, are now hearing the music. So the music is written in advance. And, and this, I think, was done in Once Upon a Time in the West as well. He would sure. bring the music on the set and play it for them as they were acting the scene. And in a sense, it becomes an, an opera, right, in a, in a way. Um, exactly. The music is, 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 as you said, it's another character. So they're acting with the music as if it were another character. It's something that you, if you think about it, uh, it's just a matter of having a good relationship between the composer and the director. 
they had a good relationship. They were friends, now you know, and so they could talk and talk for months before to shoot the, the movie. And so it's another kind of approach. It's really something that you build up together. It's not one on the other. You add another element to something. No, it's something that it's a collaboration. It's so simple, but very important. So a lot, of, a lot of directors, as you know, through these conversations, use temp tracks, right? There's an incredible story in the book where Sergio Leone had a temp track of, from Rio Bravo, right? And directors get used to these temp tracks. Like we get used to rough mixes, right? We get used to rough mixes. We get married to the rough mixes. And then if the mix doesn't sound like the rough mix, we, we tend to get upset. This is a piece by uh, Dimitri Tjomkin from Rio Bravo. And so I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Ennio Morricone in the book says, if you use it, I quit. So that's sure. interesting. And, and I, I think a lot of directors do that, right? This is not unusual for directors to use temp tracks. Can you talk about how that, can you talk about what happened there and how that resolved itself? Yes, basically the editor of the movie was just using this temp track to, you know, they always do this also in the advertising today. Uh, you have a, a piece of music and you can edit the movie and the images frame by frame and they have a rhythm, etc. The problem is that in general, the director uh, who is in charge to uh, has the power uh, at a certain moment, watching the image with that music, you just feel that it's perfect. The, 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 you don't want any other music. Uh, for Ennio, it was uh, totally unacceptable that in his movie, <laughs> uh, there were used other music. And so I said to Sergio Leone, if you want to use it, I will quit the movie, the production. And uh, Sergio Leone finally, uh, this is very Roma, uh, Roman, uh, really Italian from Roma, uh, answered to him uh, after uh, discussions, uh, after, uh, he answered to him and he said, okay, Ennio, you can do it, but uh, you, it has to be a bit similar, no? something like this. I don't, I don't remember it. I don't know the translation. And so Ennio Morricone said, okay, I will try. But also in the uh, imitation, let's say, he, he put there another melody that was uh, that he wrote in the past. So it's always a duel, you know, from these these two guys were really fighting. Uh, Sergio Leone had a very strong personality, and also Ennio Morricone, a strong personality. So you can imagine the friendship and hate uh, and friendship, no? You know. Yeah, I want to play these two pieces. This is uh, I want to play the Tiomkin piece, and then we'll play the Morricone's piece. And this is a beautiful piece with La Serenza on trumpet. It's such a beautiful piece. And I think the, all the melismas and the ornamentation, I think that, that La Serenza is doing on trumpet, that was all written out, right? All those ornamentations were all part of the, part of the piece. So let's, let's play that. And then we'll play uh, uh, the opening theme. My name is Brian. I'm here with Alessandro De Rosa. We're discussing the music of Ennio Morricone. I'll play the Rio Bravo track first, then Ennio Morricone's response to the track, and then Fistful of Dollars. You're listening to WZBC 90.3 FM, Boston College.
Sergio Leone was asked by his producers to consider Ennio Morricone as the composer for A Fistful of Dollars. And as research for this, he played two westerns, which Morricone had in fact already scored. Uh, one called in England, Gunfight at the Red Sands, duel in Texas, and the other called Pistols or Guns Don't Argue. And Leone hated them. He hated the music and he hated the films, or so he told me. And the legend has it that Morricone put on a song that he'd recorded. Uh, Woody Guthrie's Pastures of Plenty. A song which he'd recorded with Peter Tevis, Californian singer, expatriate, then living in Rome. And Leone said, that's it. Cracks, you've got the bells, you've got the chorus, uh, in the wind. You've got uh, ding, 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 all that sort of riding music. And so they simply transposed it and then it became the main title of A Fistful of Dollars. Free Association, music of Ennio Morricone there from Fistful of Dollars, 1965. Author Christopher Frailing in there talking about Fistful of Dollars as well. Alessandro De Rosa is with me as a new book, Ennio Morricone in his own words. I love the whistling. Uh, can we talk about Alessandro Alessandroni for a minute? Um, sure. I read an interview with him that he said the whistle is nine, should be 90% note, 10% breath. When most people whistle, you get most of the breath. But when you hear Alessandroni whistle, it's like an instrument. I mean, it, it is an instrument. I mean, it's just the, the tone is so pure. But, but they had a long-time collaboration, right, Alessandroni? And he was, a, he was a film composer himself, I believe. Yeah, they, they met, uh, I think, I don't, I don't really know when they first met, but uh, they were working already when um, Ennio Morricone was uh, an arranger at RCA, RCAA. Uh, they were working together because Alessandro Alessandroni had a choir, so uh, an ensemble, uh, vocal ensemble, where also Edda Dell'Orso was in, the, in this ensemble. And, and, and so the whistle is not an instrument that... Uh, Morricone was not the first, I think, to use the, the whistle. Uh, but of course, uh, the symbolic... Uh, connection that the, the whistle has in uh, these movies, so the westerns for example, uh, is very important because when you are alone in a desert somewhere no, and you don't have an instrument, you, you don't have a, a pianoforte, a piano or an Hammond with you, <laughs> you have just your voice or your, just your whistles. Uh, now, today, nowadays, we are uh, used to these libraries, for example, uh, that we use to comp for composing that uh, at that time, these libraries didn't exist. 
So the relationship with um, and the friendship sometimes with uh, these all these musicians you mentioned before Bruno Battisti da Mario I know him very well is uh, such a special guy because this guy is uh, really uh, you you see that when he's, he talks about uh, Ennio Morricone in this period uh, he's in love with all this you know and uh, uh, these people really were living their life in that moment and they they really liked what they were doing no and so this interaction is very important because Morricone was writing for these people, for Bruno Battisti da Mario, for Alessandro Alessandroni, for Edda dell'Orso, not a singer, Edda dell'Orso. And this kind of relationship is another thing that uh, is very important. Bruno Battisti da Mario told me that, um, uh, of course, Ennio had a, always a very clear idea of what he, he wants. An example is this guitar no, that you can hear in the Once Upon a Time in, a, in the West. No? The, the Frank team, Henry uh, Fonda, when the town, 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 this very great guitar. They found this, this, uh, this, uh, the, this uh, sound in the studio, but uh, Ennio was asking for a really sharp sound, something that was cutting the face of the listener. So, you know, it's uh, everyone was bringing themselves, but Ennio was the composer, you know, the the arranger, the the guy. So, the father, <laughs> Godfather. He was he was he was writing for specific people, which jazz is which is something that that I mean that's that's a jazz tradition thing. You know, Duke Ellington wrote for people in his band. Those compositions are very much. Uh, geared toward the people that were in his band, and, and that comes from a long line of band leaders writing for people in their band. So it's interesting that a film composer uh, would would be writing for somebody like uh, D'Amario, the guitarist, uh, and specifically uh, all these, and Alessandro, the whistler, and all these great people in his community. I want to play this track that you just talked about uh, from Once Upon a Time in the West, Man with a Harmonica. When that guitar comes in, it really is just such a stabbing thing. It's one of the great guitar sounds in the history of music when that guitar comes in. And there's nothing else like it. Uh, let's play this scene. And, and it's interesting, too, that I should mention the context of this is 25 minutes of dialogue before this. Uh, 25 minutes of a musical desert, as Morricone stated in, in your book. Uh, so again, when that guitar comes in, it's just, it's just ear splitting. Let's listen to this piece. It's amazing. Um, once upon a time in the West, the man with a harmonica. This is free association right here on WZBC.
Kubrick loved telephoning people. He spoke for hours and hours on the phone from his home in, in uh, just north of London. He phones Leone and says, how did you get that effect of the music and the image in Children of Volta Ill West? And Leone says, well, I, um, uh, I, I, it was all recorded in advance in a version and it was played on the set. So we timed the, like the, um, in Flagstaff, the arrival of Claudia Cardinale in Flagstaff, the Chapman crane goes up like this. Dee, 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 dee. The crescendo of the music is identical to the fantastic, integrate, like a rock video. Exactly, you know, it's, this is like Once Upon a Time in the West is the first rock video, yeah, where the music illustrates the image and the image illustrates the music. So Kubrick said, how the hell did you do that? He said, well, I wrote the music first. Oh, that's interesting. Music from Ennio Morricone there, The Man with the Harmonica, Once Upon a Time in the West. Alessandro De Rosa is with us. We're talking about the music of Ennio Morricone and his work. He has a new book called Ennio Morricone in His Own Words, which is a great conversation and insight into the music of Morricone. I want to talk about the harmonica there, too. Uh, the harmonica, until I read your book, and I love this movie, until I read your book, I didn't realize the harmonica melody is chromatic for a reason. And it's because the, the, 
the character his the, the the character that's playing the harmonica is being tortured right his his hands are behind his back so it has to be a melody that's that can plausibly be played without your hands and i thought that was so brilliant you know you now now it it all makes sense so he's very he's very much writing in the context of the story right he's not just coming up with a harmonica melody he's coming up with a harmonica melody that could only be played by that character absolutely it's uh, something and for obtaining a more credible uh, timbre let's say and result they were they were how do you say when you really try to suffocate someone else uh, you right. are you're, you're, that, you're losing your breath right yeah. yeah but they they were with their end sergio leone was in the studio with the, his hand, it was uh, suffocating the the uh, uh, the, the oh really the Germany. Yes, yes, <laughs> wow, it wow. was, it was. And so okay. for a day, no, it has to be better. And so it was, <laughs> it was such. <laughs> so a, strangling him, strangling, strangling him. It. <laughs> Very good. So I sorry, I didn't remember the the verb. And uh, and so yes, this was was um, what I knew. But also Franco de Gemini tells the story. And so. So, no, it was a very a serious profession, you know, it, again, the composer that has to justify to himself and to Petrassi and to all these schools and uh, what he's doing and why he's doing. Right. Uh, really important. Right. This, um, you know, it strikes me, too, that instrumentation and orchestration are such a big part of his musical vocabulary. Uh, I'm thinking of Investigation of a Citizen Under Suspicion which is a really incredible use of bassoons and out-of-tune piano, really interesting uh, choice of instruments. And he talks about the, the instrumentation. I think instrumentation is such a big part of compositions, and it's something that Morricone has talked about. He doesn't farm out his orchestrations. He does all the orchestrations himself, and the orchestrations are as much a part of his pieces as melody harmony structure form this piece is incredible uh you got a mandolin classical guitar the off-tune piano i mean it was just it wasn't just a piano it was an out-of-tune piano exactly right uh bassoons um the bassoons he says are are sort of supposed to represent the shady police inspectors can you talk a little bit about his instrumentation and how that's such an important part of of what he does i mean i think you would agree he feels that 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 is as much a a part of the composition as any of the other components uh, yes of course instrumentation is very important in this uh, music that you in this movie that you just mentioned for example the bassoon in fact is something dirty it's something that because before we were speaking about uh, talking about a bassoon that is in the high you know re register but if you go down in the low register of a bassoon you obtain a very uh, a sound that is coming from the stomach you know, in a way and so it could be intestinal exactly like sergio michelli was saying for example and uh, and he was playing a lot with the bassoon with Petri. but every movie by Petri was about this uh, distortion of the Italian society, the political dirtiness and this kind of aspects. So how to express this musically speaking? Okay, we have a piano, a piano, for example, a piano, pianoforte is, uh, you know, you go in a, 
a living room of a rich people person no for example you you find uh, a pianoforte no but it's an upper class is an upper class uh, instrument uh, in a way no and so but if you use the, 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 the piano in another way so you start to detune it yes it's there it's a living room but it's dirty again no you know and the bassoon coming back to the bassoon for example what you was used also in the hateful eight by Tarantino for most of the first part of the movie you understand immediately that these people ate each other but you you see you know because tarantino that lot of blood you will see a lot of blood in the picture but in the beginning they try to be polite but anyway there is something there and what is there the bassoon in the really deep register that is playing this these three notes are coming from the symphony of sounds uh, there are another three uh, in the second movement of the Symphony of Sounds, there is a fugue. Uh, but the bassoon is there, and the bassoon is something that uh, gives give us this impression, this feeling that the tension is there, but still is not out, no? it's not uh, visible. Something is coming. Another thing is that in the movie, the, the Eightful Eight is playing, for example, with this, bas uh, this um, wah-wah effect that is coming from the, the good, the better, the ugly, no? for example, but it's not anymore the voice that is saying wah, 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 is using the cap to the trombone, for example, and is using this circus, really, uh, it seems a circus of terror in a way, you know? uh, so it's the same idea because it was a western in a way, also if for Morricone was never a western, this movie, by Tarantino, so he, he felt to, in a way, keep something, no? also because of the expectation of people, but also to, of course, researching something new, express something new, and uh, try to express, I think, also something of Tarantino, in a way. Uh, this is what I think. Uh, I think so, too. Yeah, I mean, the, there's, this is uh, it's an incredible score, and it's the score he won the Oscar for. Let's play, let's play these pieces back to back, because they're great use of bassoon in the lower register. Investigation of a Citizen Under Suspicion. I'll play that first, and then we'll play this piece, this opening piece from The Hateful Eight. You're listening to Free Association. Alessandro De Rosa is here. We'll be right back. This is WZBC 90.3 FM, Boston College. Thank you. 
You know, one of, well, one of the things that when we got together that, you know, he talked about is um, having read the script, he mentioned a, um, a theme that kind of played in his head from reading, uh, um, from reading the script. And I was very intrigued that he had a, a theme uh, a, a kind of in mind from the script. And, and, uh, and he didn't. He didn't try to hum it for me or anything, uh, but I asked him, so what, what would that be? What, what are you thinking of? And he, and he just described it metaphorically. He was like, well, it would have a forward momentum that would suggest the stagecoach moving through the, the winter landscape. And it would, be, it would have a forward momentum of the stagecoach, but it would have an ominous sound overall that would suggest the violence that will come. And I was like, well, that sounds pretty good to me.
Free Association. Music right there from The Hateful Eight. Quentin Tarantino in there talking about working with Morricone and the opening scene. Amazing uh, piece which won Ennio Morricone the Oscar in 2016. Uh, right before that was Investigation of a Citizen Under Suspicion, one of my favorite Morricone scores from 1971. Alessandro De Rosa is here. He's the author of the book Ennio Morricone in his own words, a co-author of the book, I should say, with Ennio. We've been studying the music of Ennio Morricone tonight. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back at the top of the hour. Stick around. This is WZBC 90.3 FM, Boston College. <laughs> 